You're listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We are starting a brand new series for the month of June, and it's called Father. Now, there are a lot of things that I could talk to you about that I know would be beneficial to you in your life that would help you grow in your relationship with the Lord, that would help you grow and develop. There's a lot of stuff we could talk about, but I'm constantly asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to people? Because honestly, I could tell you a lot of fun stuff, but one thing from the Lord will change everything. And so I want what He wants to say to you. And so over the course of the last several weeks, um, and even the last couple of months, I've had various conversations with people in our church and even outside of our church. um, And this common theme keeps coming up as God as Father. God as our Father. So many people today have such a hard time seeing God as our Father. A really hard time with that. And so that's what this series is about. So the goal at the end of this month is for you to have a new revelation of who God is as your Father, and you can embrace that relationship He has for you. I'm going to read you a couple passages of Scripture here. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let me read you one more, Galatians 4, 6 through 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. These are two Bible verses that we talk about a lot here at Freedom Church, um, A few years back, I wrote a book called Killing the Orphan Spirit that's out there in our merchandise section. By the way, if you're a man in the room, on Father's Day, every single man in our building is going to get three things. They're going to get a copy of Killing the Orphan Spirit. They're going to get a copy of the battle book, and they're going to get a big old stick of beef beef jerky and cheddar. So that is a Father's Day gift for you. Um, Amen. I want want that beef stick right now. I'm hungry. Um, But we we have a family um, that have just been a blessing to our church. Um, they paid for a hundred copies of each book because they wanted you to have this information for free. And so they're going to have, amen, that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. So they're going to have those available. Uh, we're going to have those available. But there's a quote out of, out of the book, Killing the Orphan Spirit, that I want to mention to you today. It says this, I believe that our problem with sin is a problem with the fundamental misunderstanding of who God is, who we are, and why Jesus came to earth. Sin isn't really a right and wrong issue. It's a love and obedience issue. It is a misunderstanding of the father-son relationship we were born to experience. See, when we say yes to Jesus, we we have more than the opportunity for victory over sin. What we get is a family. And our family identity is what stops the root of that sin to begin with. Those the, the process of us becoming a child of God, that salvation that we experience, puts us into a place where we have a new family no matter what our family of origin looks like. Whose we are, changes what we are. Again, whose we are changes what we are. So we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer subject to sin. We're no longer ruled by sin. But now we're the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody. We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. We're victorious overcomers through the blood of the Lamb. Do you understand what it means to be a co-heir? I mean, imagine this. Jesus not only came and died for our sins so that we, we could be restored to the Father, but what he did is he was willing to share Not only his dad with us, but his kingdom with us. What king does that? What king ascends to the throne and says, you know what? I'm going to share my kingdom with all of these people too. No king does that. Man, no politician does that either. Come on, somebody. 
sharing the wealth, sharing the power, sharing. No, Jesus was willing not just to come to save you, to die on the cross for your sins. But he says, I want to go a step further than that. And I want you to be my brother. I want you to be my sister because I want to share my father with you. That's what we get with Jesus. Most of all, what we become as sons and daughters of the Most High God. At the very core of who you are is this notion of God as a father, but too many people see him as something else. They don't see him as father. They see him as other things, and maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you see him as a judge, as a creator, as a ruler, powerful, holy, glorious. You see him all these things. There's a great book called Delighting in the Trinity by a guy named Michael Reeves. He's a professor in England, Um, and he has this statement. He says, behind all the nice stuff is this unknown God of power. A terrifying God who you might not want to spend time with. A God to kneel to in fear rather than kneeling in genuine need of Him. Let me ask you, do you see God like that? Do you see God as this scary thing up there that is ready to pounce on you the moment you mess up? We have a hard time sometimes parsing God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. Because it's like the Old Testament, God was this mean, angry God that just kill, kill, kill. And this New Testament, God is like this dripping with honey sweet God that's just like love and grace and mercy and it's okay buddy we'll make it so we a lot of times think that Jesus is this thing that softened this mean angry God up into this nice calm peaceful God that we experience now that's not the truth though how do you see God that's the fundamental question I'm asking you right now How do you see God? See, we all know the God who deals with sin, the God who's the ruler and judge and creator and omnipotent and all that kind of stuff. But is the magnanimous side of God the only one you know? Is that that judge and that ruler the only part that you know? Um, When I worked at East Texas Baptist University, um, I went to college there, uh, got a degree there, and then I stayed on to work there because my wife was completing her degree. Worked there about four and a half years, and um, there was a guy that I knew uh, just an acquaintanceship, just a you know, co-worker. He ended up leaving the school and, and going to do something else. Well, I was on the elevator going up, up to the top floor one day. And you know how when you're in the elevator and the doors are closing, you're like, close, 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 come on, do it, do it, do it. Do it. And all of a sudden the hand sticks through to stop it. Yeah, I got that. I was like, oh, man, I almost had a moment to myself, right? Well, he pops in there and I recognize him. I go, hey, what's up, man? And he starts asking about my family and about my wife and how do you like the job? I mean, five minutes of schmoozing, man. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I hadn't talked to this guy in a long time. This is fun. And then it immediately became clear what was going on. He says, hey, just wanted you to know, I just started selling insurance. I'd love to give you a quote. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on, man. So, like, is all this stuff just bits to butter me up for the sale? Is that what was really going on here? Like, I didn't want that. I wanted somebody to be genuine. But here's the thing. When you don't know someone, you have a hard time ascertaining their motives. Trust is something that you have to earn, isn't it? You have to have experiences of people to learn to trust them. It's hard to believe the best about people's intentions when you don't know them. There's no, this is no different from God. If you don't see God first and foremost as Father, then you will always be at the mercy of the idea that you have about Him in that particular moment. You want an example? Here we go. If God is primarily a ruler, then you will feel ruled when you interact with him. In fact, I don't know about you, but I know before I experienced God's love as a father, anytime I would mess up, I would spend a few days away from Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, you probably need some time to cool off. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not ready for the Thor and the hammer and the lightning and all that stuff just yet. So I'm going to give you your space, Jesus. Like, come on, anybody else in here? Like, that's how I would do things. Like, hey, you know, it's because I saw him as my ruler. 
And I wanted to get away from the punishment. But see, a father is different. A father's not punishing because he wants to punish. He's punishing because he wants me to be better. Okay? And so he will do that. So, so I had to change my mindset. If he's primarily a judge, you're going to feel like you're always under the microscope with him. I mean, it's like you, you walk somewhere and it's like, I'm just going to keep my head down because if I'm not looking at anything, I'm not sinning. That's what, you know, it's like this mindset. If he's primarily holy, then you feel inadequate when you come into a worship moment like this and people have their hands raised and they're, they're leaning into the Father and you can't because you know you're not holy, you know you're not worthy, and you know He is. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about a few things today that can help us to start to embrace this journey of God as a Father and not just all these other things that you might think of. Here's the first one. God primarily describes Himself as Father. God primarily describes himself as father. Let me hit you with some verses. Um, the first time any mention of God as a father happens in Exodus chapter 4, 22. We're going to run over this one real quick. Israel is my firstborn son. Okay, let's read some context clues. If he says Israel is my firstborn son, what does that make him? Okay, so this is the first notion of God being a father that we see in the Bible. Number two, this is the main text I want to hit on. Deuteronomy 32, 4 through 6. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? All right, that'll be all today. Y'all leave encouraged, you senseless and uh, what was it? Crooked, twisted generation. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Boy, that's encouraging, isn't it? You know, every time I look in the Bible, it's like I'm constantly seeing more evidence to prove the fact that orphanhood is our biggest problem. Look at what the Bible says here. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. You remember, we got blemished in the garden, didn't we? We walked away from the family. But what God has been doing is the process of reuniting humanity to himself. He wants you to see him as a father. Isaiah 64 and 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. And you are our potter. We are the work of your hand. I don't know about you, but I tend to push against the potter's hand a lot. (laughs) He's still working on me, guys. What about the New Testament? The New Testament is laced with information about Father. We see that before in Romans 8, 15. Uh, We see that in Galatians 4 that I read earlier. What about when Jesus was baptized? You remember this one? He was baptized. The Bible says that he went down, came up, that that the Holy Spirit like a dove came down and descended upon him. And what did the voice say? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hey, let me ask you a question. How come not Savior? How come not Redeemer? Doesn't it seem like this is my beloved Redeemer? I mean, what Jesus came to do? What about Savior? He came to seek and save that which was lost. So why, here's why. Jesus was the firstborn among the brethren. That's what the Bible says. And here's what that means. It doesn't mean that Jesus was the first person to be raised from the dead because you have a lot of people. We talked about this on Easter, and, and you can go back and watch that message if you really want to know more information about this. But Jesus was the first person who ever experienced spiritual death like we have when we left the garden, spiritual death separated from God. He was the first person to be resurrected into life because of the work of the cross and the resurrection. There's a reason why he's called the first. He want, God wants you to understand that what he did with Jesus is what he wants to do with you. And what he did with Jesus is he said, this is my beloved son. Come on, somebody hear me right now. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. I hope in this moment 
Years and years of a wrong, incorrect mindset can be broken in this second. God is not ready to pounce on you. You are his beloved son, his beloved daughter, and all he wants is to have a relationship with you. Now, I know that fights the ruler, creator, omnipotent, all that stuff. But we have to understand that what God is after primarily is you to understand that he is a father and nothing else. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, God the Father is constantly referring to himself and acting as a father. And it's important you know this because it gives you a clue in how he wants to interact with you. 1 John 3.1 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. God's plan for his relationship with you is simply and beautiful. A dad and his kid. Is that hard for some of you to to understand? Is that hard for some of you to receive? That God's big plan for you is just a dad and his kid. Well, how could the truth of this statement change how you interact with God? How, how How could things change? How could things be different? Well, perhaps all of a sudden, all those things about God could go through the lens of God as a father instead of God as a ruler primarily. Doesn't that change the interaction? Notice the last part of 1 John, that, that chapter 3 verse. It says, you did not know him. Well, what happens if you don't know God as a father? Here's what happens. Number two, when God isn't your father, legalism takes that role. Legalism. See, Jesus taught us to pray our father in Matthew 6, 9. And we're going to get a little academic here, so I pray that you just hang on with me here as we go through this. But nowadays, any time we refer to God as a father, we don't, have a, we don't have a hard time understanding that principle. But for the Jews back then, for even Jesus' disciples, it was a very, very weird, puzzling teaching. What God was saying uh, about this, uh, him being the father, it all occurred in the first time. The, excuse me, let's say this. When, when, God was first, when Jesus was first referring to himself as God as his father, it happened in, the, uh, in a conversation about the Sabbath, uh, what was going on. Jesus claimed that it was proper for him to perform healings on the Sabbath because, his, because of his words in John 5, 17 that say this, My father is working until now, and I am working. In other words, what was happening is God rested on the seventh day from his work of creation, but his work of preservation and ultimately redemption was still going on. So stop for a minute and just think about this. I've always thought that God was seated and he was just like, you know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit were the ones that were doing the work of restoring people. The Bible says that God himself is in the active work of restoring humanity to himself. You have the entirety of the Godhead trying to help you get back to him. That's powerful. Moreover, Jesus associated his own ministry with that continuing work of the Father, raising the question of their relationship in a way that antagonized the fellow Jews. As the gospel records in John 5, 18, that was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, that's a stonable offense back in them days. Indulge me more. As the debate continued in John 8, 39 through 44, here's what the Bible says. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your doing the works your father did. They said to him, "We were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, God. Even, uh, even God." Jesus said to them, "If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil." 
and your will is to do your Father's desires. The, the Son of God that was sent to take away the sins of the world, the one that all of these guys have spent their entire lives studying about, was standing literally right in front of them, and they had no clue. Why? Because legalism had taken over in their lives. They didn't have a relationship with God the Father. They had a relationship with the law. And because they had a relationship with the law, all they could see is through the lens of the law. Jesus knew his Father. He knew exactly what was going on in heaven. And because he knew that, he had a lens of the law and of humanity through the lens of God as the Father. That's why we see the love and compassion in Jesus Christ and the, the, the venom inside of the Pharisees. It's all about seeing it differently between fatherhood, uh, a relationship with the Father, and legalism. One more passage, John 8, 54-59. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is of nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to kill him. Yo, Jesus was flexing so hard against the Pharisees right then. Not only was he telling them that, that he knows God and that they don't. I mean, these are the people that if anybody's going to know God, these are the people to know God. And he was literally saying, you have no clue who he is at all. And if you did, you would recognize me because I'm from my father and I know my father. Evidence that you don't know my father. And by the way, yeah, I know Abraham. And by the way, the last time anybody said the words I am as a response to who are you, it was in a burning bush. Jesus was literally telling them the dude in the bush was me. I was the one. You say you know my dad, but you don't. You know the devil. That's why you work the works of the devil. You hurt people. You break people. You destroy families. You put legislation and rules on people that they cannot possibly handle and fulfill. Does that sound any familiar to today's church sometimes? It can be so overwhelming with the church today sometimes. Regulations and traditions and all these things. And listen, I'm all about regulations and traditions and laws. I'm good to go with that stuff. If they're through the lens of God as your father. But the moment the, regu- the, regu- the, regu- uh, the regulations and all that trump the relationship with God the Father, you are in the same place the Pharisees were. we got to get to a place where we know the Father or else we get to endure the benefits of the legalism that we see in the Pharisees. So what's the point? Jesus said, I know him and you don't. That's the difference between relationship and legalism. Now listen to this. When God is anything but your Father, your relationship with God is through the lens of the law. But when God is your father, you can see the heart and love behind the law and you're able to step beyond legalism and into relationship purpose and his unconditional love. You can't forget that when the Bible says he disciplines us, he's not doing it because he wants to hurt us and punish us. He's not one of those kind of dads. He's a dad that wants to discipline you because he knows that if he does, it's going to help you be better tomorrow. I want a father in my life who's willing to have the hard conversations with me and then the discipline with me so that I can be better tomorrow. That's what we have with our Father in heaven. But when you cannot see him as a father, the father element is taken out of that, the relational element is taken out of that, and all you get left with is punishment. So what you do is you see a mean, nasty God up there who just wants to smite you anytime you mess up. That's not who he is. And if you read the word, and if you see Old Testament and New Testament, you will find a loving father who just wants to be restored to humanity. That's it. That's what you see. 
It isn't enough to know facts and figures about God. It's not enough. The devil knows facts and figures about him. The devil is an expert on God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's an expert on the Bible. He knows the Bible better than you and all of us put together. So what's the difference? We get to have a relationship with him. That's the difference. But there can be a block to this, and we're going to unpack the blocks to these things over the course of the next few weeks. But there's one block that needs to be taken care of today and addressed today, and that's the third and final point here. It's this. God is nothing like your father. God is nothing like your father. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, this is another one of those principle verses where God is establishing a principle here. And here's the principle. Your heavenly father is exponentially better than your earthly father ever could be. That's the principle. Now, for some of us, we've had good fathers. That's been awesome. Some of us, that's a really good thing because (laughs) our fathers haven't been so hot. God is nothing like your father. In fact, your father should be striving to be like God. Your earthly father should be a reflection of the heavenly father, not the other way around. You see, God is the sun and your earthly father is the moon. Any goodness in your earthly father is just a reflection of your heavenly father. The moon can't produce light. All the moon can do is reflect light. And that's what earthly fathers are supposed to do. Come on, dads, I'm talking to you right now. Everything inside of you needs to be focused on reflecting what you get from your heavenly father. But let me give you a little hint to this. If you don't know your heavenly father, how can you reflect his light? I think sometimes we get so caught up in trying to fix the problem, the symptoms, that we're not fixing the actual illness. I just, I want to stop yelling at my kids. How's your relationship with your father? Oh, he's dead. No, that father. How's your relationship with that one? Because here's what I know, because anger is something that I have to constantly keep under wraps. So it's a, it's a struggle that has been my whole life. Some of it has been generational that I've had to deal with. Some of it has been because the enemy knows that that's a tool he can use inside of me. And he sends me people like Tom, who I'm so happy to see Tom today, but Tom to say, hey, Look at, man, you're getting rounds of applause. Tom, to sit across the table from me and say, hey, Jason, you said this, and I, I can tell anger was running, and you need to stop that. That's a blessing from the Lord. That's, a, that's another spiritual father in my life. That's, that's the truth. I need that. I need that. Well, if, if I'm angry, and I'm taking that on my kids and the people around me, then my big question is this. Do I think God's angry with me? Because if I knew how God treated me, why wouldn't I be reflecting that light to the people around me? You have to understand who the Father is. You have to. Any goodness in you as an earthly father should be a reflection of the goodness of God, your heavenly Father. But here's the thing. We know that many fathers are not good reflections of God. I'm not going to ask people to raise hands, but there are a lot of you in here right now that would much rather not talk about your dad. This is a concerted effort by the enemy to destroy your view of God the Father. Listen to what Roland Warren says. He used to be the CEO of the National Fatherhood Initiative. Here's what he said. If fathers are distant, distracted, disconnected, or even abusive, children will believe all fathers are this way, and even a heavenly father who claims to love them unconditionally. Michael Reeves in Delighting in the Trinity. It's one of my favorite quotes from this book. He says, But God the Father is not called Father because he copies earthly fathers. He is not some pumped up version of your dad. 
to transfer the failings of earthly fathers to him is quite simply a misstep. Come on, some of y'all need to hear that. Because what you've done your whole life is you've tried to understand God through the lens of your earthly father. You got it backwards. Your earthly father should be understood through the lens of your heavenly father. Okay? So what does that mean for me now? What does that mean for us now? It means that we have to stop putting the sins of your earthly father upon your heavenly father. Because guess what? God is nothing like your father. You may have had a good dad. Awesome. You may not have had a good dad. Let me tell you something. When you say yes to Jesus, you don't just get the whole stuff dealing with sin. You get a new family. That means when you say yes to Jesus, you got a good dad. In fact, you got the best dad. In fact, every dad on earth wishes he could be just like the dad that you have now. That's what we're dealing with here. In one moment, in one moment in your life, you can go from orphan to son or daughter. So, God at his core is first and foremost a father. Now, this does not mean that he's not all the other things that we talked about. All the things that we learned about, the ruler, the judge, the creator, the righteous, the glorious, the omnipotent, the to be feared, all of that. Yes, he's, he's all of that. But it does mean that all of those attributes flow through the lens of fatherhood. Not earthly fatherhood, but heavenly fatherhood. Fatherhood that's at its core loving and concerned about you. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to deal with some of this stuff. We're going to talk through this stuff. Um, but today, the way I want to end today is just with a, a prayer and a confession. Uh, but, but what I'm really hoping you see through this message today, I'm really hoping you see two things. Number one, the way God wants you to interact with him is that he's a father. Now, he's not wanting you to interact with him based on what you think he should be. And there's a difference. Anybody ever had somebody in your life that you thought was going to be a father figure to you only to be let down? Yeah, we probably all had that. So that's not what we're talking about here. God wants you to see him as father. Now, that's a big deal. It's like when I first started talking to Monique, you know, I thought she was cute. How you doing? You know, all that stuff. Come on. Y'all, some of y'all, y'all remember, y'all remember the first time you saw your spouse? You're like, oh, snap. You know, beautiful, right? No, y'all remember that? Now, what if I went over to her and I, you know, you throw your little game down, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, girl, you know, so I'm t- I'm, that's not at all what it looked like. But you go you go put your little, hey, I married all them kids 15 years. We good. So you, you go you go lay your little game down or whatever. And um, now she just wants to be friends. See, see, the thing is, if she just wants to be friends, it means that any idea I had about her is shot. See, in America, you can't force people into relationships. <laughs> but when I went and talked to Monique the first time, there was something between us. And she wanted what I wanted as well. What if today, for the first time, you discovered that the very thing you wish God could be is the very thing that he wants to be for you. What if? And and one more step, how would that change how you interact with God the rest of this week if you believed that? In 2018, um, 
I wrote another little booklet called Walker on Grace, and it was the end result of a period of time where I was in a depression. Um, I was one of the pastors at New Covenant Church, and um, we were about to launch our North Campus, and um, we had about four to 500 people at our North Campus, and I was the campus pastor of that, but I was also over all of our next gen, which include fifth and sixth grade ministry, all of youth, a college and career ministry, an internship program I'd created as well, and then I was also over all of our tech arts, which meant audio, video, lighting, sound across two campuses, streaming two weeks from one campus to the other, and then the next two weeks flipping that and streaming the opposite way. I could tell you it was complicated. So I was dealing with tons of teams, tons of oversight. I was being stretched so much that I had no clue how in the world I was going to be able to get through it all. It was, it was tough. Now, God knew what he was doing because he was preparing me for what I'm experiencing today, which is amazing. So just a little side note, don't fight God if you feel like you're being stretched right now, Okay. Endure the stretching, but get people to monitor what's going on. So you had people like Pastor Chuck in my life. They'd be able to say, okay, hey, you're stretching, but let's, we, need to, we need to calm some of this back down. You see what I'm saying? You need people to help you with that. Uh, but I was being stretched, and, and my response to it was what, what we called high-functioning depression, where I was depressed, but I was still functioning as if everything was fine. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Um, over the course of that year, um, God told me that he wanted me to go spend three days at a cabin all alone, just me and him. And that book is what came out of that. But before all that happened, I remember early on in the process, I heard God speak to me. He said, I want you to take communion every day until I tell you to stop. Every day. So I went to Kroger and I tried to find some crackers that had the K on it because that means kosher. Is like the, I was trying to find the Jewiest crackers I could find. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know where you get unleavened bread. I don't even know how to make, I don't know anything about that. But I found the K, I used those. And I got a little bottle of grape juice, and I had it in my truck. I probably should have refrigerated it, but it is what it is. I'm alive. So every day I would pull up to my office, and before I got out of my vehicle, I would sit there and I'd take communion. And after about the second or third day, I realized it had nothing to do with remembering God's, remembering Jesus' blood and body. It was, um, he missed me. And the reason he missed me is because I was constantly going to him because I needed a sermon. Or because I was about to go into a meeting and I had no clue what to say to these people in a meeting, like in a in the kind of a ministry session kind of thing. As a Holy Spirit, I don't need your help because your boy too dumb to tell him, you know. And and so I would constantly go to him for doing, but never for being. And he just wanted to spend some time with me. He told me something in those meetings that really changed a lot. Um a few uh, the year before I was in Rwanda on a, on a trip and um, it was the first time in my entire life where I ever felt God's love as a father um, God was breaking the orphan off of me it kind of came to a head in, in November of 2017 and uh, on the side of a mountain in Rwanda something happened where the first time I felt his love now I'm 42 years old I've been saved since I was five it's like 35 years of being a Christian and not feeling God's love as a father see I experienced God through what I could do for him. I know I'm the only one in history that does that. But all it was all about, God, I'm going to show you that I can do for you. I'm going to show you how good I am. I'm going to show you that, God, I was worth your investment. I want you to have a good ROI on me, God. I want to make something of myself so that you can be proud of me. See, he was, he was still creator and ruler. He was still approval giver. But he wasn't a father. 
And here's what I learned is the moment I understood him as a father, it stopped being about what I did for him. And I realized he could care less about all that stuff. He just wanted me with my, my failures and my fears and my dumb moments. He wanted all of it. And he said something to me that changed me. He said, I want you to stop calling me God and start calling me Father. So I did. Changed everything. Changed everything. How did it change everything, man? It's just just one word. It's because I would begin to say it and I would begin to pray it. And sometimes I call him God now. I mean, it's not like I'm being legalistic about it. But, but early on, I was, I, was, I was rigid about it. Every time I would say, Father, 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 it's because I needed to hear it so that I would begin to believe it because he already wanted me to believe it. He already wanted me to see him as a father. In spite of whatever my earthly fathers have done. In spite of what my spiritual fathers... Because see, my spiritual fathers are the ones that orphaned me. They're the ones that did the most damage in my life. But there was my heavenly father. My heavenly father was right there to say, Hey, listen, even though they represented me in the spiritual terms, I'm nothing like them. Changed everything. What would happen in your life if you started seeing God as a father? Here's how I want to end today. I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And the only reason I ask you to do that is just so you can take a moment and block out the people to the right and to the left and focus on the Lord. And I want you to just say this prayer with me. Um, if you have the liberty to do this, this is a confession we're going to make today. And I, I want you to, you don't have to yell it across the room, but let air escape your lips because confession in Christianity is everything. Here we go. Jesus, you said in John 14 that you would not leave me as an orphan. I know if I'm going to kill the orphan spirit in my life, I need to make some choices. First, I choose you. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. You died for me. You rose again. I give you everything. I have the life now because of what you did. I'm yours. Have your way. Second, Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life. I ask you to fill me. I ask you to begin to open my eyes to what I can't see. Shine light on the dark lies the enemy has spoken in my life. Guide me in this process of returning to sonship or daughterhood. And lastly, God, it is hard to see you as the loving father I've learned about. Whether it is a poor earthly father or spiritual fathers as examples or not. I realize the enemy's plan has been to separate us and destroy my view of you. I commit in this process to embrace who you are as my heavenly father. As I do this, let my heart and mind embrace you and believe what you have to say about me. I am no orphan. I'm a child of God. You're a child. Jesus made this possible. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Father, I pray for every single person in the center of my voice right now. 
God, that today, that today by your power, today by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would have an understanding of you as Father. God, I thank you that you are good and that you're loving. God, that you want us to see you as a Father. God, that you're not distant and unconcerned, but you're, you're incredibly near and you're incredibly concerned about the details of our lives. Help us embrace who you are as a Father in spite of of any examples of fathers that we might have had. God, we choose to trust you today. We praise you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.